and welcome to a special edition episode of the Transfix Take podcast, where we are performance-driven. But today, we're driven by an insane amount of empowerment we've got going on with our roundtable of guests. Joining me on the show are Hankel's Jesse Saron, who's Outbound Transportation Manager, Marianne Ramirez, who's Customer Logistics Manager, and Emily Akhtar, who's Senior Customer Logistics Analyst. And today is all about the women leading the charge in logistics. So I guess, why don't we get started with some intros? Tell us a little bit about how long you've been in the industry and how long you've been working in the supply chain uh, and logistics space. So Jesse, why don't we get started with you? Hey, hi Jenny. Uh, My name is Jesse Saran, like you said. I I was actually born and raised in Honduras. I was brought up to the United States when I was 15. So went into an ESL high school here in the United States. I actually didn't start speaking English until I was like age 17 and a half when I got my first job. And it was a very challenging time to try to speak because I didn't know how to speak. I knew how to read and write, but nothing to do with actual pronouncing the words. And as you can tell, I still have a heavy accent, so that sometimes get on, gets on the way. But as far as my position with Henkel, uh, I've been the Outbound Transportation Manager for four months. I've been in uh, logistics for over 12 years. I actually started with Henkel in warehousing in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I then moved into transportation. I was a transportation planner for four and a half years. And then I moved into customer logistics and now I'm back in transportation. Very nice. Okay, Emily, what about you? Yeah, so I've actually been in logistics for about two and a half years now. Um, I graduated from Penn State back in 2020. So right out of college, I I jumped into logistics. Um, Initially, I was in transportation for almost two years. So started off in operations as a transportation planner, um, then moved to be a transportation specialist. um, And a few months back, I actually came over to Hankel and joined the customer logistics team. So customer logistics is more like the strategic side of customer service. So, you know, day to day we're root causing different issues, kind of seeing, you know, where we can drive continuous improvement. So it's different every day, but that's what's great. That's what keeps it interesting. I can only imagine, especially over the last, you joined at an interesting time, Emily. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, Okay. And then Marianne, last but not least, what about you? Sure. Um, So I've worked in supply chain in a corporate setting for about 10 years. Um, It's actually funny because I entered college planning to be, you know, a traveling recording artist with a chemistry major. So weird, but (laughs) I wanted to I wanted a professional career in pharmacology while creating music during my free time. But then, you know, that all changed when I entered the real world and experienced real challenges. Yeah. Um, and, and through the trial and error, I kind of learned who I'm destined to be. Um, and as far as my position here at Henkel, uh, I'm a customer logistics manager. Um, most of my supply chain experience and success, um, you know, it was executing the operational day to day. But um, here I'm more strategic, um, like Emily mentioned. Um, you know, I, I'm a service-minded individual, so it, it fits my personality to be what I am now, which is like a liaison between departments. Um, and we basically diagnose problem areas that plague customer supply chain, and then we bring the right people together to fix to fix the issues that we find. So it's pretty cool. 
Before we dive into supply chain, I have to ask, what type of music were you looking to travel the world and create? <laughs> That's a great question. I actually was obsessed with like acoustic um, R&B. Okay. Yeah, alternative. I liked all kinds of different music um, that I really didn't put a label on myself. But yeah, I like the acoustic vibe the most. Coffee shops, hookah bars, that kind of cool vibe was was my kind of thing. <laughs> okay, okay, I can see that. I, I met you once in person for the for those that are listening, so I can see that vibe coming across. But you know, I think you you've come at a time you know and and have been in the industry at a time where you've seen a lot of volatility and you know, lots of ups and downs, especially since 2020, really with the insight of uh, of COVID. But, you know, I do want to talk about uh, the supply chain by the numbers, right? We're sitting here with a round table of women leadership in, in our space. And so while, you know, let me throw out a couple of stats here. There's 28.5% of supply chain leads that are women identifying and approximately 12% of those women identify as Hispanic or Latina, Latina right? Now, if you scroll through LinkedIn, there are a number of women who post about equitable opportunities of leadership in the workspace. And more recently, we're starting to see a rise of women CEOs and executives in the supply chain space, which I love to see. You know, our, our, our CEO here is Lily Shen. She's a woman in charge, and I love to see that. But what I would love to know is, do you feel as a woman you've been given opportunities for your own professional development? And if so, I'd love to know who were your career champions. And, and Emily, why don't I start with you? Yeah, definitely. So I will start off by saying I feel like I've been really, really lucky since starting, you know, my career with having opportunities. Um, I've worked with some great management, some great leaders at both companies that I've been at, and they've really guided me in the right direction and just given me different opportunities to kind of learn and grow in my space. Um, and I know it's not like that for everyone. I'm sure it's not even like that for some people on this call. So for that, I'm very grateful um, and definitely a shout out to some of my career champions. So starting off, um, Andy Clemens and Kimball, they were my first two managers. They were the ones who kind of took a chance on me. You know, they were hiring me for a role which was not necessarily entry level and I was fresh out of college. So aside from an internship, I didn't have too much experience. Um, so, you know, they really got me started in my career. And then John Chili, absolutely has helped me so much professionally. Yeah. Um, and then most recently, Trisha Bird, who is my current manager, you know, she's just been great. She's always encouraging me and Marianne to do, you know, what what we want to do. She's like, this is your space. You guys take it and run with it. Like at the same time though, you know, she's always supporting us and both of us know that. So I think that's something I've really, really admired. That's awesome. And that's really rare too, right? That um that that take it and run type of mentality where you're encouraged to make and create something of your own. So that's really awesome that you have that, especially so early on in your career. Um, Marianne, what about you? So as far as um you know, your previous question uh, regarding having opportunities of leadership yeah. um, with throughout my career. Um, that question is actually bittersweet because although I can't say that I haven't been given opportunities to lead, um, I was often given the responsibility to lead without the title. Mm. Um, and although I was so proud to be trusted with important projects, 
um, a part of me always wondered why I could never break that barrier. And naturally, you always feel inadequate, right? Yeah. Um, as a woman and as a minority, that's always the first thing that you do. You ask yourself questions, you know, um, you know, did I lose the opportunity because of what I look like on the outside? Or mm. could I have answered that question differently? What does this person have that I don't? Um, and I'm resilient, so I always would bounce back. Um, yeah full of excuses for myself, for not advocating for myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, excuses like, you know, I need the experience or I can't destroy my resume or who will pay my bills. You know, I always, it's always those, those things that you think about. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until recently that I started to realize my worth um, and, you know, be professional, but vocal about what you earn. That's, that's things that I've learned um, through my career champions, which, um, you know, throughout my career, I've had, you know, similar to, to what Emily mentioned, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of different kinds of leaders that showed me different things about myself, different strengths of myself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've always had my husband and my daughter being my biggest motivators <laughs> behind the scenes. Um, and, and then on a professional note, you know, at Hankel, everything came full circle. Um, call it coincidence or call it fate, whatever you want to call it. Um, my opportunity to officially be a part of the leadership team came from a woman, um, Trisha Bird. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, she's been such a big um, part of my career, a career champion for me in a short period of time. Um, you know, she coaches by example, the art of choosing your battles and leading with grace at the same time. So it's really cool to see that coming from a woman. Yeah. And and one more that I can't um, n that I can't not mention is John Shilley. Um, he's been a great support um, and a professional mentor for me. I'm really in the space of honing in on my skills and speaking about them confidently, confidently um, and kind of showing me that knowing what you can bring to the tables isn't arrogant. Um, and, you know, he, he showed me to really get myself a seat at the table. So I'm really grateful. That's so important, right? Is is being ad, being an advocate for yourself, which I think as a woman it is harder, right? We're not inherently taught, I think, or or maybe in previous generations, our parents didn't really make that a focal point of speaking up for yourself and looking for opportunities and taking it and running with it. And you know, to hear that you have been able to capture that or, or really encounter that throughout your career is something that I think a lot of women need to keep hearing. You know, and then people like you and, and really everyone here, they kind of they take it down with them and and they and they pay it forward. And so, you know, with that, Jesse, tell me about, you know, your career champions and have you been able to really have opportunities within your own career for leadership? Uh, yes. Uh, so I feel like as a woman, we you know, prove ourselves a little bit more. I feel like in my life, I have been given just like Marianne the opportunity to lead a team without necessarily getting the, the job or the promotion. But I have had plenty of opportunities in that space. I've also had the opportunities to lead leaders in other organizations. And uh, throughout that, I also learned that sometimes being a woman uh, that comes with people having a lot to say, like they can gas up and, and start rumors that aren't really true. And that right. puts you in a really uncomfortable position. Absolutely. And it makes you feel, you know, like maybe you didn't deserve that. Maybe they just gave you this position because you are a woman. 
or because of how you look or whatnot. And then you have to think, uh, do I have the skills? Do, can I really do this job? Stuff like that. Uh, so for me, it's been always getting on my head because of not only uh, my my relationship with you know people around me gossiping and saying things, but also because uh, my accent and stuff like that, and always questioning myself whether do I deserve these, you know, do I speak enough English to to move to this position, things like that. So it's been difficult. Now, as far as uh, champions that I have had, I feel that one of the biggest champions that I have here at Henko, which I have actually never reported to him. He's actually one of the directors here at Henko. His name is David Salisbury. Anytime I get on my head, I know that I can go to him and I just have a conversation with him. And he always is there to just tell me, look, you're worth it. You do so much. You're amazing. This, and he teaches me a lot of things to, to where I can actually advocate for myself. So he's actually one has been one of my biggest advocates to even get into this position today. Uh, I wasn't going to even say anything about the position. I was actually just going to leave Henkel and he encouraged me to, you know, have the conversations with the management and advocate for himself. So I think that he is one of the biggest uh, champions that I have seen through my life. Uh, I don't want to leave Trisha Bird behind because actually she was one of the first managers here at Henkel that promoted me and she always trusted me and she always knew that I could do a job and she always pushed me to the next level. So definitely she was one other champion that I had. And now with John reporting directly to John, I'm learning so many new skills and he's always pumping me. He gives me like all this energy and it's so satisfying to know that I can, uh, you know, work for someone that's so positive and that I can learn so much from me. That's really powerful. You know, can we, can we talk about the accent for a second? Because I think, and maybe because I'm biased, I'm a Puerto Rican woman, right? I think it, there's power in being bilingual or multilingual or what have you. Do you agree, Jesse? I mean, I can't imagine that you wouldn't agree with that. I definitely agree. Uh, but again, it's because, I, you know, it felt like throughout high school, like my years here in high school, it was like every person always making fun of me. So I never actually spoke. And I went to an ESL school, so therefore everyone there spoke Spanish too. So I didn't really have to uh, mm. learn how to speak. It was more I, I had to learn how to read and write because that's the way that I would pass my classes. And believe it or not, I was actually an honor student through high school, even though I didn't speak any English. And then when I got my first job, every single person made fun of me and how I picked the words. I'm sure I said a whole bunch of words uh, <laughs> very bad. But, you know, it just all that got got to my insecurities and I work every single day to try to overcome that and even my children today sometimes they come and, and they make fun of me on, on the way that I speak and I'm just like you know I'm bilingual so you can't laugh at me because I can speak two languages and most of the times I'm translating things in my head before I can actually say it so I'm double tasking here. <laughs> I mean, it's a superpower that I think gets unnoticed quite a bit. So I'm glad that you're you're talking about that in a in a really positive way, you know. And I recently learned that um, all three of you actually sit in employee resource groups or ERGs at Hinkle. I would love it if you could share how being in those ERGs have pr further provided opportunities for not just growth but also building community, um, and even being able to highlight and put your own skill set to use. So. Um, maybe Marianne, why don't we start with you? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'm currently a part of the 
what we call the PWF or the Professional Women's Forum here at Henkel. Okay. Um, I'm relatively new to the group, but um, what I have been able to get out of it, you know, they have, um, they give you the opportunity to kind of leverage different talents without the company um, and different levels of expertise within our community. Um, and this is our Henkel community. Um, and, you know, they give you, you know, um, speakers, they give you like official and unofficial opportunities to develop and kind of, you know, leverage each other's expertise to develop yourself um, and network amongst different women. And the thing that's so cool is that um, our company is international. So you can, you can connect with so many different um, groups of women. Um, and, you know, there's different things like events, lean in circles. Um, there's like committees that are basically categorized by a certain level of expertise. It's, it's, it's really awesome. And, and it's been a cool experience so far. <clears throat> that sounds really awesome. It feels like a well-rounded experience to be able to be a part of an ERG like that. Now, Emily, am, am I, did I understand right that you are also part of the same ERG or are you a part of a different one? So yes, I'm actually also part of the uh, the PWF or the Professional Women's Forum, like Marianne mentioned. I'm super, super new to it though. So I haven't had the opportunity quite yet to, you know, like get involved and see what it's all about. Um, but just hearing about it from some of the other members who are already in it, you know, I'm super excited just to have the opportunity to meet and network with a lot of other women who I probably wouldn't meet otherwise, you know, even though we're not hybrid anymore, and we're back in the office, it's still kind of hard to meet people, um, you know, and, and network with them. So super excited to get more involved, you know, in the coming months. So absolutely. And, and Jesse, what about you? Well, I'm actually part of the Unidos ERG. Uh, Unidos actually works very close with Common Hope. And the reason why I decided that Unidos was uh, going to be one of the ERGs that I wanted to join is because I actually identified with this group. Uh, what I basically do to volunteer in this group is basically I translate letters for small children in elementary in Guatemala. They basically uh, write the letters back to Common Hope thanking them for, you know, the opportunities they're giving them. In countries such as Guatemala and, you know, I'm from Honduras, uh, sometimes families have to make hard decisions, whether it is, you know, you have to work instead of go to school. Uh, Common Hope actually comes in and supports those families with, uh, you know, some financial help, as well as gives the children the opportunity to go to school, they give them supplies and stuff like that so that they can continue education. I actually, as a child, had to do the same. I had to go to school, and then after uh, school, I had to actually go and work a part-time job at night, and we all had assigned days, and we had to go and help my aunt with jobs because, obviously, it, the, the countries are so... The, the poverty over there is, is so bad right. that either everyone in the family helps or you basically don't have the financial assets to go to school or buy supplies and so for us to go to school we have to work a little bit to get some of those supplies you know so we, so we've got you know, being able to use your superpower of translating, Jesse, and then also with these lean in circles and knowledge sharing and being able to connect with others all over the world through the Professional Women's Forum is really, it, 
it's so powerful in ways that I think you can't really put a, a number to. And so what I'm excited to hear, you know, as we continue, because, uh, you know, post this podcast this is not the last time we're going to speak. I'm very curious to know, you know, once we get a couple of months down the road, how you've been able to really utilize your skill set, what things you've been able to learn, you know, because we also here at Transfix have some ERGs, namely Somos, which um, is very similar to Unidos and in, in, in what they do. Um, and we're right at the closeout this week of Hispanic Heritage Month. And, you know, I'm always happy to sit with other Latinas in leadership. And, you know, with Jesse and Marianne, I would love it if you can share a bit about your individual backgrounds, namely where you both come from um, and how you got your start in your professional careers. Uh, I will, Jesse, you're, you were just finishing off. Why don't we start with you? Uh, so, like I said, I'm originally from Honduras. I relocated to Salt Lake City when I was 15 years old, where I had to go into an ESL school. So, what ESL stands for is, you know, English as a secondary language. So, obviously, that school has kids from all over the world that don't speak English. They're there because we don't know the language, and so they can have to put us apart, which was a little bit shameful because, I mean, for me and my sister, my sister was actually nine when she came to the United States. She was put into a regular school, and she picked up her English right away because she didn't have a choice. For me, I had a choice. I didn't have to speak at all. All that I had to do was basically be able to read it and write it, and I would have a lot. I didn't have to speak to anyone. I was able to just stay in the Hispanic community without making any effort. So I actually got really, really behind. I mean, the program is really good because it does help you, but at the same time, it can also put you a little bit behind. Now, uh, my first job that I had was at Old Navy. That's where, you know, I had to, and I, I was forced to speak English and uh, managers, coworkers, customers, everyone was just constantly correcting me and kind of laughing at me. So obviously the experience there was, was not the best, but yeah. that also just pushed me to the next level to where I wanted to learn English. So I started listening to English music. I started watching all the Disney shows in English and putting the words on the TV so that I could read it, pop it, translate it, see what they were trying to say, things like yeah. that, so that yeah. I could learn and improve on, you know, how to pronounce words and how to go to the next level. So that I could overachieve that because it was an insecurity back then, even more than now. Uh, how I got into logistics was actually my sister uh, was working at the warehouse in Salt Lake City. She said they had some openings and I was looking for a change. I was actually at the time working for a bank and she's like, you know, this is really exciting. You get to do a lot of different things. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. So in the meantime, while I was doing the warehouse, I was also working full time at my other job because I was like, what if I don't like it? You know, what if logistics is not for me? What if warehouse right. is not for me? So um, I did go to warehouse and after three months, I decided that I did like it. And I quit my bank job, stayed time at the warehouse and from there I've been growing logistics and I really enjoy the job that I do now. That's awesome. And, and Marianne, what about you? So yeah, I'm the first generation born and raised here in America, aka Nueva York, <laughs> as my family members in Dominican Republic would call it. Yep. Um, for some context in DR, um, it doesn't matter what state you move to, even if it's Wisconsin, you're going to know my dog. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it's an inside joke, but my mother moved 
um, to the capital in Santo, Santo Domingo at 10 years old. Um, and she was born and raised up until like until then in a very poor rural area of the country known as the Campo. Mm -hmm. um, so her extremely humble beginnings drove her to vow to herself to do all that she can to raise us um, in a way that would give us opportunities that she never had. Um, so, you know, I'm, I know that you asked me about my background, but, you know, I want to start from my mother's humble beginnings because it really inspired me to get to where I am today. Um, she had three jobs at one point to keep everything afloat. Um, and, you know, long story short, we were rich in love, but not so rich financially. And because of this, um, I knew I had to work and I always have ever since I could get my hands on working papers. Um, and, you know, as a counter girl, a waitress, cleaning houses, any way that would get me to college, right? Yeah. Um, and then at 18, um, when I was in college, I worked second shift in a warehouse to pay for my books. It was just means to an end. Um, we all know those college books break the bank. For oh, yeah. I remember it very well. <laughs> Still paying for it. And I've always said that that was means to an end, but that was my foundation in supply chain. Um, and it gave me, it was a blessing in disguise because I was on the other side and it put things into perspective once I got enrolled on the corporate side. Yeah. Um, and it gave me more incentive to do my job well, thinking of all the people doing the actual heavy lifting behind the scenes. Um, you know, like I said, I had big plans of a career in pharmacology, but, you know, fast forward to a few years and a beautiful baby girl later, um, I started my corporate journey in supply chain um, and it was in the fashion industry. So, you know, everyone thinks glitz and glam, but I, I was thinking trucks and <laughs> <laughs> trucks and numbers. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And after only a few months of learning the basics, I was like, I, I love it. I loved where I was. I loved my career and you know, here I am. Join us next week as we'll embark on part two of this Ladies in Logistics Leadership episode of the Transfix Take podcast. We'll take a trip down the road of advocacy, Emily entering the supply chain at one of the most volatile times, and tips on how to achieve leadership roles. Until then, drive safely. All views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Transfix Inc. or any parent companies or affiliates or the companies with which the participants are affiliated and may have been previously disseminated by them. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are based upon information considered reliable, but neither Transfix Inc. nor its affiliates nor the companies with which the participants are affiliated warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. All views and opinions are subject to change.